and welcome to another episode of the Enter the Bible podcast, where you can get answers or at least reflections on everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but were afraid to ask. I'm Katie Langston. And I'm Cameron Howard. And gasp, you might not have been expecting that as the co-host introduction, but that is because we have... One of the OG hosts of the Enter the Bible podcast, if you go back to season one, Cameron was on here quite a lot, co-hosting uh, today. Hello, welcome. Thank you so much for co-hosting with us, Cameron. Thanks for having me. I really have to give credit, though, to Catherine. Catherine is the OG OG host. Oh. <laughs> okay. She was hosting before I was, and I took a turn. Okay, that, I so. think I think I had forgotten that that bit of <laughs> uh, enter the Bible lore legend. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> right here. But Cameron is associate professor of Old Testament uh, at Luther Seminary, and if you were hearing another voice in the background, indeed, it's Catherine Schipperdecker, usually the co-host of this iteration of the podcast. Uh, but today she is our special guest. So welcome, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you, As Katie. And thanks, Cameron, for hosting this, co-hosting this. Glad yes. to be here. And uh, Catherine, of course, is a professor of Old Testament here uh, at Luther Seminary as well. So uh, we're in this sort of, um, you know, extra special, unique arrangement um, uh, here for the podcast because... Uh, we have a question that came in that uh, happens to be an area where Catherine is an expert. And so we thought, okay, we'll ask Catherine the questions. And Cameron also knows more about it, these sorts of things than I do, as they're both <laughs> Old Testament folks. Uh, but this question came in uh, from our website. And uh, if you would like to ask a question, you may do so at enterthebible.org. Click on the little button up there that says, um, ask a question. And there's a form and you can fill it out. And we try to get to as many of these as we can. The question is pretty broad, um, but I think important. And that is, what is the main theme of the book of Esther? Catherine, you're working on a commentary on Esther right now, right? I am. I'm, I'm writing a commentary for a publish, publish, publisher uh, called Erdman's, and uh, it's way overdue, so I'm, I'm hoping to finish it this summer. But yes, I'm, I'm writing a commentary on the book of Esther. So I, I, I guess I hesitate to call myself an expert on Esther, but let's just say I've spent a lot of time on it in the past few years. So, uh, for, for, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully I have something interesting to uh, contribute to this question, but Cameron has written on Esther as well. So we'll, 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 uh, have a conversation here rather than a monologue. Uh, um, and obviously we usually have a conversation. So, so the main theme of the book of Esther, uh, it, it's, it's an interesting question and you're right, Katie, that it's a broad question. And I think it probably comes out of the fact that Esther is a pretty atypical biblical book, right? I mean, it's, it's uh, well, first of all, it's one of the few biblical books named after a woman, right? Including uh, Ruth. Um, Song of Songs isn't named after a woman, but it has a strong female voice. Um, but Esther is pretty unique because uh, it never mentions God, right? God is famously never mentioned in the book of Esther. Um, neither are things like prayer or, um, uh, you know, uh, 
well, prayer <laughs> or, you know, uh, Thanksgiving or, or worship. None of that is mentioned in the book of Esther. So that's, I think, probably part of what that question comes out of, because uh, it's, it's hard to find a Sunday school lesson <laughs> in Esther. There's a, there's a couple of other uh, kind of um, issues with the book. One is that it ends with uh, pretty extreme violence, the uh, the the Jewish um, heroes of the story uh, um, instruct uh, the other Jewish folks in the land of Persia to have vengeance on their enemies. So tens of thousands of people are killed, uh, the enemies of the Jews. Uh, in and uh, at, at the end of the book, um, and the and and the third problem, or I don't want to say problem, but the third issue in the book of Esther is that the uh, the way it starts is with this kind of beauty contest, but put air quotes around beauty contest because there's some pretty, um, you know, suggestive sexual themes in, uh, in that contest as well. So for all of these reasons, I think the book of Esther is, is kind of unique uh, in, in the Old Testament. I, I should add, I'm talking about the Hebrew version of the book of Esther because there's a Greek version as well. Uh, the Greek translation or the Greek version is in the Septuagint, which is, of course, the Greek translation of the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible. And in the Septuagint version of Esther, there are prayers, there's visions from dreams from God. Um, you know, it kind of makes up for that absence of the mention of God uh, in the someone, Hebrew text. Someone looked at it and was like, oh, this will never do. That's right. <laughs> We've got to fix that. That's right. That's right. I should say that the story of Esther is set in the time of um, ancient Near Eastern Empire, specifically uh, in the in the time and the land of Persia, uh, the time of the Persian Empire, the land of Persia, which is almost twenty five hundred years ago. Uh, but when it's written is, you know, probably sometime after that, though the, the author seems to know um, some Persian customs, like the mail system in Persia <laughs> uh, is mentioned and, and other details about the Persian Empire. So there seems to be some firsthand knowledge of, uh, of, the, of the history of it. Um, I would not, though, classify Esther as a historical, uh, as history. I, I would, I would, I would classify it as kind of a historical fiction in the sense that there are some interesting, as I said, some interesting um, details about the Persian empire that seem to uh, be historical or, or, you know, that, that actually uh, were part of the customs uh, and the culture there. Uh, but there's no record of a queen named Esther, a Jewish queen in the Persian empire. And there, there's also just a lot of, um, kind of exaggeration or hyperbole in the book that seems to encourage a reading that is um, m more of, uh, I don't want to say fiction or myth, but but uh, not to be taken completely literally. Well, it's almost Just as satire, one example, and then I'll, right? I'll stop talking for a minute. It's <laughs> almost satirical is, though, right? Oh, sorry. What's that? I was going to say it's almost satire, right? It is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, one example is that the the stake or the gallows that uh that uh, the 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 bad guy Haman builds for Mordecai, the good guy, is uh 75 feet tall, right? So and and it can either 
some translations have it as gallows, you know, something to hang on. Some, I would, I would translate it as a stake, that it, um, a, a long spear, basically, that's meant to impale uh, Mordecai. But, uh, but yeah, 75 feet tall. Again, just uh, a, meant to be kind of satire, meant to invoke some humor. All right. So <laughs> I probably talked enough. What no, would you add, awesome. Cameron, about, about the interesting aspects of Esther? Well, yeah, first of all, that it's really funny. So just echoing the idea that it uh, can be classified as satire, you know, we might call it macabre humor. There's certainly a lot of violence in it. Um, There's violence in that all of the virgins of Susa are brought into the king's palace to, um, and it's basically like a sex contest. Whoever pleases right. the king overnight is the one who will be the queen. And so there's sexual violence. There's the threat against the Jews first um, of the complete annihilation of the Jews. And so that then um, the the response, the first response, and there are a couple, right, that a couple of rounds of what um, the king says should be done in response. Um, but it ends up first being that they should defend themselves. But there's this irony there that the king can't undo the thing that has already been, you know, he's supposed to be so powerful. And yet this edict that he sent out can't just be taken back or undone or canceled out. Um, there's a way that the um, that the king, even though he is the king, is never quite able to do things right or read a situation well, or, you know, he's always having to go to his advisors. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so there's a lot of, of exaggeration that pokes fun at the king's leadership yeah. and authority there. He's, and I think he's really kind of a buffoon, the king, right? He can't make yeah. up his own mind. He's kind of, he gets so mad that he, you know, can't decide what to do. And yeah, very easily influenced by people. Yeah. Sorry, Cameron, I interrupted. Well, I, I was thinking about the question, um, what is the main theme? And I think if you ask that about any biblical book, you'll get as many answers as you have respondents. <laughs> what is the main theme? Um, so, so one of the themes, one of the main themes, I think, um, is, uh, is what it means to live faithfully um, under the reign of this foreign empire, living in diaspora, that is, as a Jew outside the land, how does one relate to um, this foreign power? And that is a, a powerful theme in many places in the Hebrew Bible for um the post-exilic era, that is, after the exile to Babylon, when Jews um, are begin to form communities outside of um, the land of Judah. How does one understand identity um, when you don't have a temple or are not um, there in the land um, that had been promised? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. That's that's certainly one of the themes or one of the issues that the book addresses because you know the 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 Jewish people are outside the land well certainly over the course of history more than they are in the land so how do you maintain your identity how do you remain faithful 
uh, when you're in a strange land. I think I think that's exactly right, Cameron. I would I would probably add two more, and I think Cameron's right that that you know the main theme depends on who's interpreting it. But I would I would say um, one other theme is discipleship, which sounds a little strange <laughs> to apply to a kind of satirical book like Esther. Uh, but I'll explain that in a second. And I think the second theme I would say is the faithfulness of God, which again might be a weird thing to say since we've already established that God isn't mentioned in the book. But let me just say a bit about each of those. Discipleship in the sense of uh, Esther's um, courage in doing what she's called to do by Mordecai. So just to remind our listeners, right, there's uh, Esther becomes queen. Um, uh, she Haman wins the contest. Wins the contest. Yes, we'll we'll skip over those details. Good for her. <laughs> um, uh, so so she's queen, and then Mordecai. Uh, sorry, Haman um, has a grudge against Mordecai because Mordecai and Mordecai is, is Esther's cousin, right? Older cousin who raised her. Haman has a grudge against Mordecai because Mordecai won't bow down to him, won't show him, uh, you know, the respect that uh, that Haman thinks that he's due. And so Haman decides not to kill just Mordecai, but all of Mordecai's people, right? The whole Jewish population of Persia. Word comes, you know, the the king, the buffoonish king is persuaded to do that. And, and Mordecai, uh, sorry, I keep saying that, Haman... <laughs> Haman sounds a lot like when he's when he's trying to persuade the king to do this deed, to issue this decree to destroy the Jews. Uh, Haman says, there's a certain people scattered and separated among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws so that it is not appropriate for the king to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued for their destruction." Now that sounds a whole lot like things that have been said about the Jews through the centuries since then, right? There's a certain people in your kingdom and they don't, you know, they're not really Germans or they're not really Russians or that, you know, and so you should, they should be uh, driven out or killed. Um, and that's what the king agrees uh, to happen to the Jews. Um, Mordecai then comes to Esther, or sends a message to Esther and says, look, you need to do something about this because your people are in danger. And at first Esther refuses or is very reluctant because she says, you know, the king hasn't called me into his presence. And if I go unbidden, then I could be killed. And probably the most famous line in the book of Esther is when Mordecai responds, um, you know, if, if you refuse to do this, you know, uh, you and your father's household will die. Uh, but uh, help will come from another place, from another quarter uh, to save the Jews. But who knows? It's And I'm paraphrasing here. Who knows? Perhaps it was for just such a time as this that you became queen or that you came to royal power. Um, and so Mordecai really kind of tells Esther not to Christianize it too much, but to take up her cross, right, to 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 do what needs to be done. Uh, in order to save her people, even at risk of losing her life. And Esther's response is, okay, I'll do that. Um, and if, you know, but fast for me and I'll fast and prepare myself. And if I perish, then I perish. 
So I, I just see, I mean, that theme of kind of courage and what I would call discipleship, not Christian discipleship, but but the kind of uh, the kind of um, courage to uh, sacrifice yourself for uh, a larger cause, in this case, to save her people. So that's one theme I see uh, in it. Um, and why don't I stop there and we'll I'll get back to my second thing, the faithfulness of God, uh, in case you guys want to say anything about that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's I, that, I think that that verse is the one is the one that people know, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> how many times if you ever hear a sermon on Esther, is it absolutely always going to be a sermon about that particular verse in particular? Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, uh, it does seem to be, you know, kind of, I guess if there's like a, a takeaway that, you know, if you want to have a, like, like you were saying, like the Sunday school lesson out of Esther, that would probably be it. Yeah. I think I think there's like dozens at least of devotionals titled something like for such a time as this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think because Jewish identity is so key to the book of Esther, um it is specifically her Jewish identity that she keeps hidden um, yeah. until she's able to reveal it. You know, it is um, it is because they are Jews that Haman wants to send out this decree because, you know, Mordecai won't bow down to him. So there's um, there's there's that sort of first reading, um, which we've already done and spoken to, but I think really to to emphasize that. Jewish identity is part of the book of Esther. And so then as Christians reading it, I think we, it's really important for us to name that first. Um, but then of course we, we are nothing other than who we are. <laughs> that is, we were, we read uh, Christ, Christologically as Christians. Um, and so that for the book of Esther, that's a place where it really like um, I think confronts us maybe more than some other books um, of the Bible where, you know, the word Jews or the Jewish people appears in Esther and that just that term, that identifier doesn't appear in some of the earlier biblical books. And so I think it's a real opportunity to remember the particularity of the book of Esther, but then also to understand that that particularity is part of the testimony to um to god that we understand too as christians and so to like hold those two things together yeah i think that's really important thanks for thanks for bringing that up cameron this this is um a very jewish book and and we can't co-opt it but we read it obviously through our own lenses but yeah it uh in fact it's well, in the history of interpretation, the book of Esther has come up often when um, in times of persecution. So uh, there's this um, rabbi from Berlin in the 1930s who wrote something like, I don't, I don't have the quotation in front of me, but he said, uh, you know, we, we, we read the book of Esther at the Festival of Purim, which is the festival established in the book of Esther. Um, and uh, every time we said Haman, the people heard Hitler, mm -hmm. and the noise was deafening. 
um, that the custom in when you read the book of Esther uh, in the synagogue on Purim is every time the name Haman is read from the scroll, uh, noisemakers are um, are uh, are used, or people stomp their feet or yell in order to to wipe out the name of Haman. And so this this rabbi in 1930s Berlin said, you know, it, every time the Jewish people there heard the name Haman, they thought Hitler, and then and they they drowned out that name. Anyway, uh, I, I wanted to just say one more, uh, well, uh, to say uh, something about the other theme that I see in the book of Esther, and that is the faithfulness of God, which again is probably an odd thing to say, given that God isn't mentioned in the book of Esther. But um, uh, the, the rabbis who, uh, you know, the rabbis around Jesus' time and later, um, they they saw God uh, obliquely or uh, hinted at at least, especially in that passage that I mentioned before that I now have in front of me, when Mordecai says to Esther, do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows, perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Now, the rabbis said, that phrase "another place" was a was a hint at God, that this was another name for God, another place. That relief and deliverance would arise from the Jews from another place, and it's really interesting because, um, you know, why is why is Mordecai so sure that the Jews mm. will be saved, and why, in fact, are Haman's uh, wife and friends so sure that he will fall before that Haman will be uh, uh, defeated by Mordecai? Since Mordecai is a Jew, uh, the, that's a, a, a chapter uh, or two later in the book. Uh, they, they, the Haman's own wife and friends say, "If Mordecai is a Jew, you're sure to fall before him." So, wh where does this assurance come from, or this, um, you know, this idea that uh, that the Jews will be saved uh, despite all appearances to the contrary? Um, and where I, I would say from. Uh, you know, from some assurance that God has promised to be faithful to the Jews, that they will uh, that they will uh, remain a great nation. There's also a lot of coincidences in the story, and a lot of this is very humorous, as Cameron mentioned already. Right, Esther, out of all the women of the empire, just happens to become queen. The king just happens to be unable to sleep on the night of the first banquet after uh, Esther invites the king. Uh, and uh, and Haman to two banquets. Um, the night of the first banquet, the king just happens to have insomnia. The court records that are read to him just happen to be the ones that tell about Mordecai saving his life, uh, another uh, bit of the story that we skipped over. Um, Haman just happens to come to the king's palace at just that point, uh, and, and the king says, you know, who should, what should happen to the, the man whom the king wishes to honor? And Haman thinks, oh, well, it must be me. And so he says, well, put him on the king's horse, and, you know, put royal robes on him. And the king says, great, good idea. Do that to Mordecai, the Jew. You know, and Haman, that's the beginning of Haman's downfall. Um, anyway, there's, there's just so many coincidences. God is never mentioned in the book, um, but Mordecai is sure that help will arise from another place. And Haman's family is sure that he's doomed to fall before Mordecai, the Jew. And there are all these coincidences that conspired to defeat Haman and save the Jews. 
Um, one commentator uh, who wrote on the book of Esther, uh, my advisor, John Levinson, he put it this way. Um, he said, it's like the old saying goes, a coincidence is a miracle in which God prefers to remain anonymous. So, uh, so there's there's some uh, hints, at least, of God's, uh, you know, of God's action in the Book of Esther. But the main thing, really, is this: the main reason I talk about, um, um, you know, God's faithfulness here is that uh, is that the Jews survive, right? Uh, that 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 the Book of Esther reveals something about the faithfulness of God. God calls Israel. God's people into being way back in Genesis and Exodus. And somehow through the years that people has survived and has continued to worship God in spite of and like persecution upon persecution. But the Babylonians today are no more, right? The Persians are no more. The Romans are no more. The Nazis are no more, please, God. (laughs) But the Jewish people have survived. And that sheer historical fact that the Jews survive and continue to worship God, that sheer historical fact is enough to make me at least ponder the miraculous faithfulness of God. So even though God isn't mentioned in the book of Esther, even though, um, even though, uh, you know, that, that theme may not be obvious to everyone who reads it on first uh, reading, I think Esther contributes to that. Um, story of God's faithfulness to the Jews through the centuries, because they're still here. Right? Thanks be to God. Um, so that's that's what yeah that's what I would say about themes in the Book of Esther. Wow, that's awesome. I, let me add one more thing. Sorry, and that's yeah. just that unfortunate. I, I think, and this goes back to something Cameron said. Yeah. About recognizing that this is about the Jews, and that is that unfortunately those endless persecutions of the Jews have often been, you know, the fault of the church. <laughs> um, in, you know, the, the, the Nazis rose in Christian Europe, uh, or at least nominally Christian Europe. So I think as we read Esther uh, and as we think about the, um, you know, the, the, um, the obstacles, the persecutions that the Jews have faced over the century. We also need to engage in some repentance for our, for the church's role in that. Anti-Semitism is sort of the oldest, you know, uh, racial discrimination. It's the oldest conspiracy theory. It's always, it's, it just seems to, it just always seems to go there. Um, yep. Yep. And we've seen of, it recently too. I yes, mean, we've we seen have. it in we do. pop culture recently mm-hmm. as well. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Cameron, your thoughts? Um, well, it's so so. It's a it's a heavy book um, in that way, but it is also a really good story. Yes, and I think that's something <laughs> that I would want to end with about the book of Esther is that not to be um, not to be afraid to read it. Like it's a really good story to laugh at the places that seem laughable. Um, to you know, uh, feel feel the ridiculousness of that king and the the humor in the reversal of Haman being so set on um, you know having himself honored and making enemies of Mordecai and then to have all of that go topsy turvy um, and that yeah 
I, I really love where it says, uh, Mordecai says there in chapter four, right before, maybe you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. He says, who knows? And it says it right there in the Hebrew, mm-hmm. who knows? There's this wonderful sort of maybe, like this is all hard to comprehend and there's so much suffering and it's very difficult. And maybe one way to make sense of it is through this understanding of the providence of God that seems backgrounded there. And and I like I like that maybe because I think sometimes it's just so hard to make sense of a violent and terrible world and and a maybe is a is a comfort to me. Yeah, thanks Cameron. I I just want to add this is uh I mentioned Purim before uh which is the festival established in the book of Esther in which which count which uh happens it's according to the Jewish calendar so it's usually February or early March. If you ever get an opportunity to go to a synagogue for Purim festival, take it. It's like nothing you've ever seen. It's it's raucous, it's joyful, it's funny. Um, there's a play put on always. Uh, I've been to several uh, Purim festivals at uh, a synagogue here in the Twin Cities who has been kind enough to, um, uh, my friend there has been kind enough to uh, to um, invite me. It's kind of a combination of Halloween and Mardi Gras because people dress up in all <laughs> kinds of costumes. You'll see Darth Vader next to, you know, King Ahasuerus next to, you know, somebody from whatever, you know, a, a, a person in a banana outfit. Uh, it's just... It's just so funny, uh, and um, but there's this underlying serious note, right? That there's an old joke that all Jewish festivals can be summed up with this uh, with this description: they tried to kill us, they failed. Let's eat. <laughs> <laughs> so that applies to Passover. It applies to Hanukkah. It, it certainly applies to Purim as well. So uh, there's a real there's a joy uh, there, but with that underlying serious note of there's always a yeah. There's always a threat. I wanna I wanna end by just just describing um, or, or reading a description of Purim uh, and the Book of Esther from one of my favorite authors, Eugene Peterson, uh, who wrote uh, or translated the the book, The Message. But he he writes this in this wonderful little book called Five Five Smooth Stones, where he takes um, Esther and Ruth and Song of Songs and other uh, of the smaller books uh, and writes about them. But he says this about Esther and Purim. He says, in Purim, life together is celebrated as a joyous gift, snatched unbelievably from the gates of death and hell. A people who had faced the possibility of not being are emphatically alive. Community is not explained in historical terms. It is not analyzed in sociological terms. It is enjoyed in the language and rituals and food and laughter of a festival. The fact is that decimated and dispersed as the Jews were, they were not swallowed up in the ocean of pagan power and culture and religion. They survived by grace. The empire did not. Who knows, man? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. That was wonderful. Thank you so much, uh, Catherine, for being our guest and Cameron for being our guest co-host today. Uh, This has been another episode of the Enter the Bible podcast. And uh, if you have enjoyed this episode or others, please uh, rate and review our podcast in your favorite podcast app and be sure to share um, to share the podcast with a friend. Until next time.